Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burgermaster. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burgermaster is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burgermaster on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey everyone, it's Brian. The real estate market is crazy. Finding an agent you can trust isn't easy. Thankfully, the one thing I'm more certain of than Brian Schottenheimer calling a running play on second and long is that you can trust John Hurlbut and his team at Altitude Homes. I know John personally, and nobody does it better in Pierce, South King, and Thurston County. So head on over to altitude-re.com HB to get real estate help you need. That's altitude-re.com HB. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. Again, that's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S. and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com, click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks family. Everybody, welcome to the 83rd episode of Real Hawk Talk. I am Brian M. Hauser, at Hawk Blogger on Twitter, and uh, one of your, your hosts for the evening. Uh, joining me, as always, is Evan Hill, at Evan Hill, S-E-A, uh, on Twitter. How you doing, Evan? I am doing well. I'm bummed we don't get Nathan tonight, but it'll be good, just the three of us. I know, like watching his face when you're talking is one of my favorite parts of the show. I, I mm. often lose, lose track of what you're talking about just because I'm following his, his reaction. Um, and Real Jeff Simmons uh, on Twitter. Jeff, how's it going, dude? What's the weather like up there in, uh, in Alaska? It's cold, man. It's cold. It's, I was outside a couple of minutes ago. It's like minus five degrees Celsius out here. I'm freezing. I'm jealous of that, Ben. Where where is where is Toronto relative to like Alaska? Very far. I mean, Extremely in terms of like far. south, north, you know, like where are you on the southeast? Well, I, I know geographically, but like I'm talking about how close to the North Pole are you guys? Like, spherically, uh, closer than I'd like to admit. <laughs> like, but man, I have a bone to pick. Of the, you guys probably saw this. Uh, the Seahawks Hall of Fame Twitter rankings came out, and I was the only one not listed in the pod group. You yeah. weren't on there? What, no. What happened? I'm, you, I'm Evan, I was listed. Evan. I'm way too old to get listed on that stuff. No I was cares. pissed. I Americans was, only. Fine, fine. Maybe I got the <laughs> – You got the pod guys. Everyone made it. I didn't make it. Really? Yeah. Where is this tweet? Who, who sent it? 
It was uh, like a unique Twitter account. I don't, Jeff, do you even know what it was tagged by? Or it was like by Seahawks Tweet Hall of Fame. Yeah, I'm, I'm like pretty sure somebody made a specific account just for this Seahawks and it got around. Tweet Hall of Fame? HOF, I think maybe. Um, Mina Kimes responded to it. I, like, I'm I'm slowing the whole show down because I want to f- understand what happened here. Um, it's like a whole hype video. Um, oh, really? Oh, so it's not something I can just see a list of Seahawks. No, it's like a hype video and it details each category of finalists and stuff. It's actually kind of impressive. Wow. Yeah, you all made it. I didn't. Well, Jeff. Um, step up tonight, I guess. You're, just, you're in. You're in the Hall of Fame of, of our heart, so <laughs> that's what matters. That's all. That's all I strive for, guys. And uh, you know, I. It's funny. I always say uh, when I go back, and sometimes I'll, I'll listen to the pod, you know, just to make sure, you know, how the, the flow, all those different conversations are going. You know, if there's topics we're missing, and invariably, the person who I'm like, man, that was a good point. It's always you, Jeff. Like Evan, I'm like, God. I can't definitely believe, not me i can't believe <laughs> that guy's on this show I, I say that every time and then I, I it's like brian can you just shut up you talk all the time like just I, I was told by a friend this week i do not talk enough on the you don't show. You, you gotta speak up man you're not getting in the hall of fame by being <laughs> silent you gotta shoot your shot yeah fair i don't know uh, nathan's always trying to be the, the reasonable one and evan's excited it's hard like i, I get i get I'm like a listener like everyone else the guy it's hard to jump in yeah, well, let's get the Canadian, you know, uh, friendliness out of out of you. And, All right, I can be a dick. Uh, you know, just get you in here with with some of your some of your takes. But um, anyway, guys, uh, we got a decent amount to talk about tonight. It's uh, it's not exactly the the happiest I think any of us have been um, with the Seahawks for a while. Um, so let's actually start by not talking about the Seahawks. Let's start by talking about some swag, some merch that I think people have been asking for for a while and I'm happy to report is now available. So um, you see this lovely logo behind me um, every week and uh, now you can see it on all sorts of things. Let me take a second and I'm going to share my screen. We'll see how well this goes. Um, And are you guys able to see this? Heck yeah, we are. All right. So um, this is uh, merchandise now available with the Real Hawk Talk logo. You've got t-shirts. You've got the Slim Fit, the Fitted. You've got posters. You've got um, wall art. Hell, you could get a comforter with Real Hawk Talk logo on it. Um, and in fact, I think on the apparel side, I, I didn't really go into enough detail there. Uh, I will say that I have gone ahead and purchased this bad boy. Um, it is not this color. I didn't go over this color. I went for, uh, I went for denim. I'm really hoping that this turns out to be this color and not like some fake denim, like acid washy thing that's going to look bad. Um, uh, but you've got, you've got that. You've got. Uh, let's see here. Oops. Screen sharing stopped. What happened? Let's try that again. Um, 
Here we go. All right. You guys see that again? Yep. All right. Let's go back to apparel. Um, so you got the hoodie. You got a lightweight hoodie. You got the classic tee. I, I also got this uh, tri-blend t-shirt. That's I'm looking forward to having that. Um, and you got a lightweight sweatshirt. So and, and Brian, do you notice anything missing from the uh, apparel category? Do you notice any type of clothing that is specifically purposely designated to be missing? Do you notice what, anything? I don't get, this is like, I am so clearly off in terms of generational awareness. Why are full zip or any zip hoodies a problem i don't get it full zip hoodies are the most clear way you can communicate that you're over 55 that's in this not world. true though it like, is 100 percent true no it is 100 it is 100 percent true full zip hoodies are not mature they're childlike it's like it's like oh you're the little kindergartner that's going to his first day of school and you got a little star wars zip-up hoodie from mommy today i don't no. know what you're talking about no <laughs> No, no. Adults do not wear zipped hoodies. Maybe a quarter zip. Quarter zip, completely appropriate. Full zip, 100% inappropriate. I, 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 I'm like flummoxed by this. Jeff, do you have the same take on this? Um, I don't know if it's an old thing. I never, I didn't know it was an over 50 thing. I didn't think over 50 wore zip up hoodies. I thought it was just like, if you're over, like if you're just like, over 40 i didn't know it was i don't know it indicates it indicates age is what it does and a lack of youth i'm closer to 40 than i am to 20 so i i really like all i know is i go to work every day and i work almost exclusively with millennials and some gen z even and they're all wearing full zip uh hoodies all the time dude so i I don't know where this, but you have a lot of support on Twitter. I will say, oh, that's not, I would not get that color. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't you know that. what? You know what? You know what that color is called? Uh, I'm 99% sure it's oat, called oatmeal color. And oh, I'm not man. kidding. <laughs> for the record, Cable Thanos asked for a white um, in a sweatshirt. We have white t-shirts. We do not have white sweatshirts. Um, I don't know if you can get any whiter than Cable Thanos wearing a white sweatshirt, but I'm glad that he's not going to be able to do that. He will like literally like be invisible in the snow um, if that is the case. So I'm tempted to see what red would look like as a backdrop for this logo. <laughs> I don't think it would be good. And my wife is commenting in the chat. I wear a full zip. I'm your wife. Shut your mouth. Yeah. Well, once again, I, once again, I am owned. So here well we go. done, Alex. Well done. So everyone's i'm sure dying to know um how to get access to this stuff um so uh one check check my timeline um i've got a link to it i think it's in the real hawk talk timeline it's definitely in uh, evan's timeline and, and some of the other folks stuff um and then i will be embedding it on the hawk blogger website um so you'll be able to get access there for patrons um i some of you will be getting uh some presents in the mail. Um, it'll take me a little bit of time to work through that. So I can't promise everyone's gonna get it quickly, but um, I'm hoping to yeah, get some like. out. Um, and there's some great, there's some travel mugs, um, other pieces. So anyway, you can access uh, the catalog already. Uh, and as always, everything that we, we make 
the first uh, at least 20,000 go to uh, to Ben's fund and to charity. Um, and then anything, anything beyond that, we reinvest into the show, um, bring on, you know, additional things like this live stream that we spent a, a bunch of time and money on this year and, and other pieces. And um, we also added a new uh, writer this year. So um, uh, Derek, um, I do not know last name. I don't know if he wants anyone to know the last name, but uh, he is uh, on Twitter. What is his? Let me pull it up. I, I got him actually. I got him right now. Uh, Derek. So at D-E-R-Y-C-K underscore S-G. Uh, he just had a, actually an article, I think, about the Seahawks offense um, a day or two ago. Definitely go and follow him. We're really excited about the content he's going to be putting up. Yeah, I mean, he is, he is, uh, he is of the nerd clan. Um, so he's <laughs> going to be very data-centric. But um, super good guy, um, which, you know, I got to be honest, the nerd clan, it's hit or miss. <laughs> it's hit or miss, dude. Like, you know, there, there's the nerds that are friendly and like, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll talk to you and they'll, they'll just have an honest conversation. Then there's the nerds that are like the hardcore nerds. And, and Nathan's a mist, just to be clear here. What's that? Oh, Nathan's, Nathan's clearly a mist. Clearly a mist. You know, I don't, I don't know if Nathan can claim a nerd card. I was thinking He's about like this. When has Nathan actually published an article based on data as a, what Nathan's published has been on film study. He has actually published film breakdown, but I don't think I've seen him do a data driven article. I remember one distinct post he made between the relationship between running and its effects on play action. I think he did that in 2016 or 2017. Okay, well that's that's his nerd card. It's been a while. Pretty expired then. Like he. It's has been to a while. Renew. He has to renew if he's going to do that. But Derek, on the other hand, he is full on. He like that was one of the best articles I've read on the Seahawks this whole year. Not yeah. not uh, not overselling. Like I honestly, um, I learned a lot in it. He talked about um, trends that we're starting to see in the Seahawks offense. They're passing less on first and second down than they had been. Um, they're also uh, changing like how much they're throwing deep. Um, and, and there's some question about how teams are playing them. So highly, highly recommend people go and check out hawkblogger.com. Read that article. It's, it's really, really good stuff. And uh, we've actually got another writer we're bringing on. Um, hopefully we'll see something from him soon. Um, but he's also of the nerd variety. So uh, uh, a lot of good stuff um, coming together and uh, always appreciate your guys' support. So patreon.com slash hawkblogger. Um, and uh, yeah, let's, let's, uh, let's get into talking about this Rams game. So we had our post game show, you know, I've written my morning after, you know, we don't have to spend a ton of time on this, but um, lingering thoughts, like a couple days now past, you know, I know in general, my take has been Yep, sucked. Didn't matter that much. Let's move on. Um, where are you guys at on this? What, Evan? Let's start with you. Actually, no, no, Evan, you're in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> let's start with the guy that deserves to be there, Jeff. Um, I'm kind of in the middle of where you are. I I was really pissed off Sunday. Like I was really mad about that game. Um, there was just a lot of troubling things that came out of it. Just the way they played the way the offense has really had four weeks in a row where they just haven't been good. But overall, I think 
more realistically, it's probably a one-off and it's probably an outlier game. But I think big picture wise, the Seahawks just right now don't look like they're one of those top tier teams. I think there's three teams clearly in the top tier. I would say it's the Niners, the Saints, and the Ravens. And I think the Seahawks are a step below. It was kind of a reality slap. And I'm I think that their schedule the next two weeks are perfect for them to kind of turn around. But right now they look like a second tier good team. And a couple of weeks ago we were talking, I think three of the four of you had them as the likely team to come out of the NFC. I think that game might be a wake-up call to us who had that thought that unless they get their offense back on track, they're not quite there yet. How about you, Evan? Yeah, I was I was really disappointed the night of. And honestly, after sleeping on it for a couple of days, I felt a little bit better about it. It just feels like what Jeff said, a one-off. It doesn't feel like this is Actually, the stats back this up with how many games we've lost, you know, beyond seven or eight points or whatever that fluky stat is. I, I This is just not a consistent issue for the Seahawks under Pete Carroll or, or Russell Wilson. This is just not a – we just don't see this typically, and I and they're typically very competitive in games, at least to the very end. Um, this game, I think, it gets lost on people that divisional games are really, really tough. Even – even like this Arizona Cardinals game in two weeks, people are calling that an automatic automatic dub. Do not. Divisional games are really, really tough. For some reason, they're even more fluky than the average any given Sunday. So I, I just I, I think it's a one-off. I think it's fluky. At the same time, I do think it was disappointing in terms of how unprepared and uninspired they looked. Um, but the reality is this. The next three weeks will determine their fate either a first round buy or a wild card. So the, you know, the pressure is on last week. It really didn't feel like the pressure was 100% on because they could afford to lose it. They could afford to drop one um, in relation to their NSU West standings. And, and do, so, you, do you get the feeling that they knew that? I, I do. And, and I'll tell you why. Um, I don't know if you guys saw Shaquille Griffin's post game comments but he yeah. kind of hinted at that. I don't remember the specific words he was using, but he, it was something along those lines of, hey, the next three weeks are really going to, you know, determine the fate of this team. And I, I, I should have brought the quote in preparation for the show, but um, I, I do think they, I do think there is some evidence to warrant that. I do think in the end, the result, as Brian pointed out, I thought his article was really good this week. The result of that game really didn't affect Seattle's playoff position really at all because to win the division, you're going to have to win week 17 and to get that by, you're going to have to win week 17 because for Seattle to get that number one seed, they probably would have needed San Francisco to drop one of those games. So, and, but however, I think there are some troubling things that we should probably talk about the base defense thing. This is mm. so fucking stupid. <laughs> Like they've figured out a way to like take their best defender and make him almost uncomfortable. And like Joe fan pointed out a great point about it. Pete's quote about Ugo Amadi a couple weeks ago. And since then he's played zero defensive snaps. The fact that they went into a three receiver team and a team that dominates the middle of the field and went base he heavy. If you do that against San Francisco and Clowney doesn't have the game of his life, they're going to get killed. So they need to play nickel defense like everyone else. This isn't 1984. They got to they gotta get away from that. 
I don't know. That was my biggest takeaway just from like coming back down from that game because it's not working and it's almost made Bobby into a you you put you tweeted out his PFF rating Evan the other day. He is not a top player right now, and I I think that's a big part of it. Do you think that's enough though? Like, let's say that they do go to nickel and let's say even let's assume for a second that nickel goes well, like that, that, uh, they haven't played Ugo Mati at all. I really, really hoping that that was going to show up in this game. They're playing Akeem King who got like eight snaps or something like that. Um, but let's just say that they do go to nickel. Is that the most important thing? Like wh- why is that the thing that, that you, you go to first? It's not, I wouldn't say it's the most important thing, but I think, it's very easy to play against Seattle if you can run a certain offense. Mm-hmm. And we saw it earlier in the year because the Seahawks aren't a good pass rushing team. And if they're not getting home with four guys, and when you see their pass rush dry up, they're a really easy team to attack in the middle of the field. And I think against a, a team that can stretch the field and run three receivers, Nickel at least puts them in a position where you can defend them. You just put so much stress on your linebackers in that base defense on a team that passes regularly it's it's just hard for them because they're not a good pass rushing team and i thought the middle of the field is exactly where the rams attacked and they had no answer to it are you uh this is sort of a change in topics but are you as concerned about the receivers and tight ends as i am because that was one of my main takeaways from sunday night was not just you know, how putrid the offensive line played, but there were some drops. There were some bad miscommunications and they just looked flat out um, not in sync. And there were several big drops. Uh, Malik Turner had one. Um, Jacob Hollister had a huge one on third down. There was obviously, obviously the miscommunication on the goal line. Like, and even, you know, taking those players out of the equation, we haven't seen Tyler Lockett be Tyler Lockett for like three weeks now. And this offense has definitely taken a downturn since we, you know, since we've seen Tyler Lockett sort of like decline in the past several weeks. It really, I think the past few weeks have been evidence towards how critical Lockett is towards this offense thriving. Are you as concerned as I am, Brian? I'm not actually like I look at Tyler Lockett and the injury he had and the illness he had, those were temporary things. And I, I'm just assuming he, I do believe that he, there's a reason to expect he's going to be back. And I think he'll be bit fine this week. I think he was actually okay. Even in this past game, I just don't think the offense was good. Um, I think DK Metcalf, I was about to pull up some numbers on him, but uh, you know, I actually think he's playing quite well um, overall. And, um, you know, he's at almost 800 yards now. He's got 50 receptions. He's got five touchdowns. Like, he's, if we were to look over his last few games, um, uh, let's just do that real quick, if you don't mind. He's, okay, last, interesting, last five games for DK Metcalf. All right. Six catches for nine, and nine targets for 123 yards and a touchdown. Uh, six catches for in 10 targets for 70 yards. Three catches and six targets for 35. So that's one in Philadelphia. We, we know he didn't have a great day, but passing in general wasn't great that day. Then he's against Minnesota. Six catches and seven targets, 75 yards. 
and against the Rams, six catches and six targets. So I'll total it up later, but every game, four of the last five games, he's had at least six catches and at least 70 yards. Like, he's doing all right, I mean, especially and, for a rookie. I think we just need Josh Gordon to, like, get untracked. And I still, like, maybe I'm just completely naive. But I, I believe. I believe that Josh Gordon is – we're going to see it happen. It's going to click. And all of a sudden, it's going to be like, instead of us saying, oh, my gosh, what's the problem with the receivers? We're going to be like, oh, my gosh, look at the receivers we've got and look how this is clicking. And I just don't think it's happened quite yet. That's part of what I'm looking forward to the next two weeks. The Panthers and the Cardinals – can try to talk us into them being a threat and every team in the nfl is a threat those defenses are terrible sure. and i think i think that we're going to see the offense look a lot better the next two weeks and i agree i think they need to target josh gordon more he looks open a lot and whenever he does get the ball he, he looks pretty comfortable catching it and i don't I, I know if you look at the targets it's still pretty high on metcalf and, but i think in like big spots third downs they are targeting not their best players too often. And Jacob Hall started a particularly bad drop last game. They just looked like – and Malik Turner, he's been pretty – like his catch rate, Brian's talked about it a lot. But uh, there's been a lot of like like big plays in the game. You probably want to target guys like Metcalf and Lockett and Gordon I, over guys like Turner and Hollister. And more. I think – I, I think just think on key moments of the game, I don't know if this is a Russell thing, they're targeting lesser players, and he used to do this with the Jermaine Curse, and he used to do this. They targeted Ricardo Lockett in the final play of the Super Bowl. So I don't know if this is a Russell thing. I don't know if this is a coaching thing. But I think on key moments of the game, David Moore has had some big targets, and he's been, he's been their least efficient receiver by a large rate this year. I just think in key moments of the game, I would like to see them targeting their better players. I don't know if the numbers say I'm wrong, but – from my no, perspective, I, I, think that, this is- I think that's a great, I think that's a great point. I think um, where I would agree with you and build on it is look, I've been a David Moore fan before. I agree that it's not working when they're going to him. And I don't see why I don't understand why um, David Moore is getting reps over Josh Gordon. Mm-hmm. Like at this point, I would hope that they would be, they would be. Yeah, yeah. And, I don't know if it's honestly, coaching thing. They are going to play more. When he's done well, it's not necessarily been the deep balls this year. Like he had the one against the Vikings, but it's been when they give him the ball in space on quick bubble screens, and then he's able to use his speed and 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 elusiveness to pick up yardage. But they don't do that very often. Like I think we're getting like I can't believe I'm saying this, but I don't think that they're doing enough wide receiver screens. Like. Like I used to hate it when they do that to Doug Baldwin. It just seemed like that was not a strength of his. And I just didn't think it was a great play. I always go for one yard, but like DK Metcalf and David Moore, that is a strength of those guys. And it seems like when they do do bubble screens, a lot of times it's like to Tyler Lockett. Like, and I mean, I I just don't think that's the best use of those guys. And I, Brian, I will, I will follow up on your Metcalf point actually real quick pro football focus for what it's worth gave DK his best receiving grade the entire season last week. So it's another data point to support your thesis. Yeah. And he was, and he was head to head with Jalen Ramsey. It's true. And I thought I was really impressed with DK. He, he was open a bunch, but I think, Honestly, we've been very pro shoddy this year. I think he kind of needs a get back. 
to the drawing board kind of moment. Cause it mm-hmm. seems like he's kind of lost what made this offense so good. Even if you watch like the first Rams game, they had Will Disley a lot in that quick game, but it seems like just from a scheme perspective and what Brian was just mentioning about like scheming plays, he, it seems like they're, and we've talked about this and Derek's article was great on this because he used the data that they're just dropping deep too much. And that's been the biggest change. And which is weird. It's been correlated with Lockett getting injured and slower. So it's been weird to see them go back to that deep passing game, running more in early downs when they were really having success with a different kind of offense. And I'm not sure what caused the change. I don't know if it's the way they're being defended, but Shawnee needs to adjust because what he's been doing the last four weeks isn't playing to the team strengths. Yeah. By the way, just, just to total those numbers for DK Metcalf. And then I want to come back to your point, Jeff, um, in the last five games, 27 catches in 38 targets. Um, so that's a 71% catch rate. And this is a guy that's been under 50% most of the year um, in his catch rate. And people talk about having drop problems and all that. So 27 catches for 381 yards, over 14 yards a catch um, and a touchdown. So, yeah, I think, I think he's, he's showing up, but to your point on the, on the shoddy thing, look, like we talk about this in our, our chat all the time, guys, like where's the quick game. Mm-hmm. I like, there's a lot of reasons it could be gone. My first thought is I always end up going to like, why are they not calling it? Is there a chance that they are calling it? And there were some shots fired a little bit by the coaching staff this week that maybe Russ isn't throwing it. Like, is it possible that like Russ is, you know, either not seeing it or he wants to throw it deep or like, what, what do you guys think is going on there with the lack of, of utilization of the quick game? Jeff, you take this one. Yeah. It's been kind of a strange week where Tyler Lockett first called out the coaches for not calling deep passes. I don't know if that was on purpose. And then you kind of watch the film and it doesn't really prove to be true. And, and then there were some kind of jabs at Russell and Russell had that tweet. So oh, you're breaking up Jeff. Jeff. We lost Jeff in the moment. And this is like old school, like, you know, frozen Jeff. Like he was just talking about how cold it was outside. Really? No, literally frozen. So, Jeff, are you? <laughs> so, Jeff, we got you back. Are you there? Hey, Jeff. Well, uh, did I leave? We lost you for <laughs> the past 30 seconds. Oh, yeah, my God. I, it was working on my screen. Okay. I just said the whole, the, whole, the whole offense just seems a little disconnected from Russell to the losing Will Disley to the coaching staff. And it's hard to put your finger on one thing, but it does seem, and Derek's numbers pointing this out, they're doing more deep plays. And I think you can really design – more like when they did that run in 2015, there was a lot of design guys open. And like you mentioned the decaf screen, DK screen, I call them decaf. Um, DK screen is a great example of ways you can get easy yards on first down. And he's, as long as he doesn't fumble, he's so good in those kind of plays. Josh Gordon, there's gotta be ways you can scheme for him, get quick passes. He's, he's so good at those quick slants. So I don't think it's just Russell. I think there's not a lot of plays where you can say and, point out to the coaching staff and say, these are well-designed quick game. Evan, um, Russ apparently had a tweet this week. I've, I've been, I honestly, my, my approach to this week has been to be off Seahawks Twitter. 
almost entirely. I haven't listened. It hasn't been as bad as you show. thought. I don't. I think. I don't think Seahawks Twitter has has been as bad as uh, you had expected it to be. It's no, it's not that. It's just that I don't. There's nothing I want to hear on it. Like it's. Oh, you just want to forget that that game happened. And it's not even that. It's like there's nothing I want to talk about with with that crew right now. Um, you know, and and I also don't want to hear about the you know the. I can't imagine. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. But like sports radio and and you know, talking heads about this stuff would just be a lot of like overreactions to this. Um, but anyway, like, so the point being that, that Russ apparently tweeted something this week, right? Like about people are reading between the lines that maybe he was feeling like he was getting singled out or something like, what was it? It was a tweet about like leaders and whether they focus on the moment or the deficiencies of, the flaws in the moment or something that just happened and looking forward to the future and expecting positive results or something. My response is to this is simple. This tweet was scheduled on tweet deck in early August, <laughs> along with several Bible verses. This is not like, <laughs> I really don't think Russell is tweeting through his emotions here. <laughs> I think, I, I think this is no, no, I was all a part of the camp chancellor, like conspiracy theories remember when his contract negotiations were going on and Cam was tweeting like little like eyes eyes emojis and other random shit like that. I was neck deep in that and I fully bought into it. I do not believe Russell Wilson is tweeting through his emotions here. I, I don't even think. You think you see it differently, Jeff. I, I don't know. A lot of people thought he was taking a shot at the coaches. I think he might just realize he played poorly. And I think he motivates himself in weird ways. And I think he was saying, like, I'm not going to harp on the past. I'm going to use this to build up. And I like, I, I saw Brock's tweet even. Brock Brock had some, like, weird tweet, like, Russell isn't the MVP anymore. Bobby sucks. Pete needs the coach. And I'm like, it's just – I'm starting to – I think, like, all the timing of that and some weird Pete comments. And I, I even had a comment about Russell last game, which probably got misconstrued a little bit. But I think he's hearing some noise. And he always says, oh, I don't hear the noise or whatever. But – and you know what? Why don't I read the tweet since I have it up? Leaders, and I quote, leaders can either waste time on the past hoping and wishing you had done something different, or leaders can choose to spend time focusing on winning the next moment. I choose the latter. Hashtag number three. See, that seems pretty clear. It's a message that either he's annoyed with what people are saying, or he doesn't think he played very well. And the next moment, which Brian said is against a shit ass defense, he's going to win it. Yeah. Like that. let's turn it to that for a second. So, I mean, where do you think that, where do you think the Seahawks go from here? Like knowing that, you know, this is a team that beat the 49ers in San Francisco played a game that I think we all believed was their best game of the season, you know, in general, um, you know, across the team and then go to Philadelphia, beat the Eagles, beat the Vikings, very complete Vikings team. And they beat them pretty well and were close to blowing them out and then blew under the Rams. Um, they seem to lose to all the time anyway. Uh, where does the team go from here? Where, where, where do you see it happening, Evan? Yeah, so I think for me, just focusing on the next two weeks, I actually think the Seahawks are absolutely going to stomp the Panthers. 
I don't think like Kyle Allen has a, been a complete tragedy for the Panthers. Like they expected him to be a lot better, but he has like the second worst QBR in the NFL. He's not a threat. He's not a running threat. He can't beat you with his arm. Um, it, that offense is basically Christian McCaffrey and I like Seattle's obsession with the base defense will actually probably play into this matchup pretty well with shutting down Christian McCaffrey, because if you shut down CMC, that offense has nothing. And I, I just don't see Kyle Allen extending drives and, and ultimately putting up enough points to beat the Seahawks. So I actually think the Seahawks are going to dominate the Panthers, but at home against the Cardinals in week 16, my sort of hot take is I think the Seahawks are going to struggle. And I'll tell you why. I think Kyler Murray is better. I think that offense is better than we last when we than when we last played them in Arizona. And Pete's obsession with Pete, you know, the the base defense is not a good matchup for Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray can throw the ball well, and he is a running threat. He is a dual, you know, threat quarterback. If he if they choose to, you know, sit back in that base defense. I could see them really having struggle, you know, struggles with with Kyler Murray. I think Larry Fitzgerald is Larry Fitzgerald. Fitzgerald, he's still very talented, one of the best receivers in the NFL. Um, they'll ultimately beat the Cardinals, I think, but it's going to be a much closer game than people expect. Then heading into Week 17 is obviously the game of the season, one of the most expensive games in regular season history I've ever seen. I don't know if you guys have ever followed my tweets on it, but like <laughs> I'm checking like every other day, and I think it's like 580 to get in the door for that week 17 game, like, like nosebleed seats, 580. So it's, it's like thousands of dollars to sit in lower ball. People are hyped, obviously going to be the matchup of, I think um, probably the NFC of the entire season. So it could first, it could foreshadow the NFC championship game. It really could. So that's how I think the next few weeks are going to unfold. Well, get, uh, I want to hear from you, Jeff, but I, I, I do want to like get, give me a sum up, uh, Evan. Is is are the Seahawks like? Where are the Seahawks like in your estimation? Let's say they win the next two games. Uh, are the Seahawks yeah. the team ready to beat the 49ers in Week 17? Oh, uh, boy. Um, I don't. You're not going to like my answer to this. I don't think the Seahawks can do anything in the next two weeks that will make me feel any better about the 49ers game. That was, that's a good way to, that's a good way to ask it. And, Jeff, and what honestly, about you? How, yeah. how do you feel the same, same, same point? Like, how do you feel going into that game? Going into the Niners game? Yeah. Like what would you need to see? Is there anything you could see that would, you know, give you confidence that the Seahawks are going to be set for that game? Um, I need to see that Ansa is able to come back. And I need to see that clown is able to hold up until that point, because the biggest reason they beat San Francisco was Javian Clowney had the game of his life and he was the best player on the field and he dominated the game. And if they pass rushed like they did last week or in some of their bad weeks, they got no shot. I don't think, I think San Francisco is playing. They had that three week test where we thought would ruin them. And they did really well during that three week stretch. And if they can't rush the passer and throw off Jimmy G, I think it's just going to be a game that's going to be so hard for them to win. So I'll tell you one thing, like I'll call out a couple things that are not related to the Seahawks guys, but, um, and thanks for the folks that are in uh, the chat doing super chat. We'll, we'll get to some of those questions in a second. Um, 
not related to the Seahawks, but the 49ers. So I just saw a tweet come out that looks like nose tackle DJ Jones could have season ending surgery for the 49ers. That guy's legit. He is, he, he's the one that knocked hunt over. Um, and people talk about some of the other injury issues in that game. He went out in that game. Um, he had some big plays in this, this past game against the saints. And then, uh, you know, I think Richard Sherman, there's question about whether he will play again in the regular season. Um, you know, there did you mention their center that is out center, for the uh, Richburg or something like that um, uh, yeah, is out for the year. So they've got Kwan Williams had a concussion. Don't know how long that's going to keep him out. I also, the thing I'd bring up about that 49ers game is they're going to play the Rams the week before. And one of the hidden benefits of the Rams beating the, the Seahawks is the Rams think they have a chance to make the playoffs now. And the Rams, their defense has been playing really well. And so, you know, what happens if the 49ers have to expend a lot of energy beating the Rams that week? And what happens if they lose? Who knows? But, like, in either event, like, they're going to have a really hard game the week before. I don't – I don't buy it, Evan. I think that the Cardinals are definitely a harder matchup than the Panthers, but I think you're going to see a two week stretch where the Seahawks are going to get well and look really good. And we're going to feel really good about the way they're playing. And then the 49ers game is going to be like a massive switch in elevation in terms of the type of competition the Seahawks are going to play. You could either feel good and say, Hey, like they started to gain confidence the way the Rams did against the Cardinals and then played better against us. Or you can be like, oh man, they're gonna they're gonna be totally out of their depth because they're gonna have been playing it's like you know playing a weaker team. So I don't know. I, I think there's some things that could happen outside of Seattle that could impact that game um, that maybe we're not anticipating. But while we're on this topic, I want to talk about Owen Sullivan's question um, in super chat. He asks, who guards Kittle in Week 17? Um, if you if you have man to man, Jeff, do you want do you have any a point of view on that one? Um, uh, that's a hard one. Isn't it probably a King King? That's what I was gonna say. It's you're gonna have to do mix up your looks. Uh, you're not gonna want to go a King King the whole game on him. I'm sure. You, you want to use McDougal? Do you want to use Bobby Wagner on some routes? But this is a thing where if they're in base defense, it's gonna be really easy for Kyle Shanahan to scheme against. Because that's you saw what he did. They scored forty-eight points or whatever when their defense completely crapped the bed in New Orleans, and Kittle was Kittle's a man-child. That guy is the best tight end in the NFL. And if you just go base and they know exactly where all the Seahawks players are going to go, it's going to be easy for him. So Akeem King's a good call-up because if they go more nickel and kind of did what they did with Travis Kelsey last year, that was Akeem King's probably best game as a Seahawk ever. Yeah. I don't know. I'm like, I'm not the George Kittle believer that everybody else is that he is just like, I mean, I, I definitely, I, I, I recognize how good of a player he is. Well, but, Brian, he's the second best tight end in the NFC West. Let's be very clear. <laughs> I like where you're going, dude. I like where you're going. I will just say like, look, um, the saints game, other than that play at the end, the play at the end was great. I mean, it was, it was a great play. He was a non-factor in that game. Like, he was not the reason that they put up all those points. And everyone's like, 
all googly eyed over Jimmy Garoppolo now because he's been playing better. And guess what? The whole conversation after the Seahawks shut him down is, man, Jimmy Garoppolo is terrible. He's the worst. The Seahawks, like, there's no conversation about what the Seahawks did to him. I, I, it can't be both, guys. Either he's really, really good, and the Seahawks completely made him look like shit, or he's not very good, and and the Seahawks were just one of the a bunch of teams that make him look really bad. So I, I think the, the Seahawks um, have what it takes to, to make him look bad. I think that the offensive line that they ran out there against the Saints – uh, I think the Seahawks shredded that offensive line, specifically Jadavian Clowney. Um, so I don't know. I, I'm not. Look, is it? If, if you ask me to predict right now what's going to happen in Week 17, I think the 49ers are the better team. No one's going to want to hear that. I do believe the 49ers right now are the better team. I think it's hard to be hard to beat them twice. That would be my guess. Am I like intimidated by that game? Do I feel like the Seahawks are like really swimming upstream and it'd be really hard for them? Like no. I think it's like 55-45, you know, in terms of percentage likelihood that the 49ers win that game. But that could easily swing to 50-50 or even go the other direction, depending on how things go over the next couple of weeks. Um, I'm curious, just looking back, uh, last year when the 49ers played uh, the Seahawks, Jimmy Garoppolo, three receptions, 50, or sorry, George Kittle, three catches in eight targets for 51 yards. In the first game against Seattle, he had six catches for 70 yards, no touchdowns in either game. Like, they've played him before. I, I just don't know. Like, it, it, in his rookie year, he had one catch for 14 yards um, and two catches for 13 yards. Like, I don't know. I think he's a, he's a good blocker. That's the best thing he has going for him. Um, you know, that's a take. He's, he's like people blocker. are people praise him. At, oh, sure he is, but like he's, he's been a receiving threat. Of course he is. Of course he is. But like, I I will say like, I've not watched enough film to say like I know for sure. So, but but uh, so I'm already like hedging on it. But from what I have seen. I think Will Disley is is just as much of a receiving threat when healthy as George Kittle. I don't think there's a significant gap there. So we'll see. We'll see. So um and I see I see the comments in the chat I, that the that the forty nineers are missing a lot of players. I don't know, guys. I mean, um the 49ers got back a lot of players for that game. They've been playing with a lot fewer players before that game. And, and uh, anyway, Brian, I do got to stop on the George Kittle thing for a second because otherwise people will roast, will roast us. I think, but he does pro football focus does give him the number one ranked receiving grade of all tight ends in the NFL. And it's yeah. by a significant margin. Like I, I think, I don't think the Seahawks should underestimate that. Well, if you looked for the the before Will Disley got hurt, he and George Kittle were like within one point on receiving grade. You're right. Will Disley is actually the third ranked receiver tight end receiving grade in the NFL. Um, that's obviously with a very low minimum snap threshold, but your point does stand. Yeah. Anyway, so so yeah, I mean, look, um, I, I got the, the other question I got to ask you guys. 
how much does it matter? How much does Ziggy Ansa's health matter? I think let me lot. put it this. Let me put it this way. If his health seriously impacts like the trajectory of this team, they're already fucked. Why? I think, I think Why? they're already already fucked. If Ziggy Ansa at age thirty-two, who hasn't done shit all year long and showed up for approximately 1.5 games this year. If the Seahawks are counting on him to make it, you know, aid them in their deep playoff run, they are fucked. That's my, that's my take. Uh, Jeff, please. I'll, I, I agree with what you're <laughs> saying. And my issue is not with Ziggy. It's what I said earlier in the year where the Seahawks, are a poorly designed group defensively for these kind of situations. And last week you had no Ziggy Ansa, right? Brandon Jackson played 31 snaps. That's 44% of the defensive snaps. When Ziggy Ansa's out, all of a sudden this guy who's a total dud as a pass rusher, the closest thing to like a zero is playing 44% of defensive snaps. He doesn't do anything well. Rasheem Green played like 50%. Al Woods was playing like 39 snaps. And taking Ziggy Ons out of the lineup just leaves a glaring hole on this defense. And if Clowney isn't the same guy, it really hurts them. And I don't know how much they're going to use. I'd like to see them use Shaq Griffin more because he complements what Clowney does really well as the speed rusher. And he's going to get thrown around on the ground. But at least he can bring you some juice. But when you're playing Brandon Jackson – 44 percent of your snaps when Ansa's out that fucks you yeah well i i i think it matters now evan i don't i don't understand your take at all other than the fact that you don't like ziggy Ansa, or you're just down on him the guy's been a top 15 pass rusher the last two weeks he played in pro football focus yeah where, pass where rush productivity from? So, I mean, you're talking about a guy that had had one and a half sacks against the Eagles and should have had two and a half, had a strip sack, also had like five or six pressures against uh, the Vikings. I can't remember what it was. Maybe it's not six, but it was it was, an, it was a number of pressures against the Vikings. Um, I think he's becoming an important part of that, that defense. And, um, you know, I, I think that especially given that Jadavian Clowney he did not look good last game, guys. Like, that was the first time. Like, nobody really looked good uh, in the Rams game on defense, but he looked like he was playing at kind of half speed. Um, and so I'm a little concerned how much he's going to be able to, to impact well, did, the rest. Did of you see Pete's comments like this? I think it was either today or yesterday. It seemed a lot more grim, I think, in regards to Clowney. Yeah. It was a little more like he's really hurting or maybe he yep, didn't say that's really. exactly what he said. Okay. Yeah. That, that kind of shot up some red flags or yellow flags in my mind is like, Ooh, is he, is the pain worsening for him? Because this is an injury where you're basically just um, playing through pain and managing pain. Is this going to get worse for him? That would not be good. I mean, that's my most pessimistic part of this team is I think the players and the parts that they really need to, to stand out 
there's some question marks. Clowny, Ansa, there's question marks there. Um, you know, Michael Kendricks, I'm not as worried about, but then you've got Cody Barton, who's also injured. And so now you've got some linebacker things that hopefully, if nothing else, maybe that will force them into more nickel situations. Please. <laughs> Make Jeff happy uh, and the rest of us happy as well. But there's this team doesn't go anywhere if both Clowney and Ansa are not going to be able to contribute. Like, I, I just don't, I don't see it. I don't see it. So, um, and meanwhile, the offense has got to get on track. Like that we just lost Rashad Penny for the season. And that was a meaningful loss, right? Like he was, he was a shot in the arm for the offense while they were struggling to pass the ball. And while Chris Carson was fumbling. So, you know, it is fair for people to be a little bit uh, melancholy about the Seahawks right now. I, I just think, I just think that what I need to see is some confidence that the players that matter start playing better and play in a way that I believe they'll stay on the field. So that's Russell, that's Clowney, that's Ansa. Those are the guys, you know, that I really want to see um, start to step up. Right. I, I was just going to say at the end of the day, like top concern is Russell Wilson needs to start playing at an elite level again. And I know that's a super high expectation, but he's, you know, the top paid player in the league and it's who he is, but this team is not, good enough to overcome just a good Russell Wilson or in, or mediocre Russell Wilson but for this team to be competitive, not, not competitive, but make a deep playoff run. Russell Wilson needs to be playing at an MVP level. It's just, it's just a matter of fact. And the past three, three, four weeks, we haven't seen it from him. Yeah. Uh, okay. I have a question for you guys. Uh, I know a lot, of, a lot of our people will hate this, but are you guys at all concerned? Cause I definitely am that the Seahawks are going to overcompensate and try to run the ball more now that their passing game has kind of fallen off. I don't. I mean, I I'm think they try to run the ball. I, I, that scares the shit out of me. I think they try to run the ball more because of part of what Derek was writing about there and, and, and others that it looks like they, the defenses are trying to, to play them a little bit differently and maybe take away some of the deep passes and the Seahawks are just taking we talked about this earlier in the year that when the Seahawks feel like they can't throw deep and the passing game, they can't protect though. Those two things aren't happening. Then they go to the run game. And what we all want is when that's happening, that they go to the short passing game. And they did that against Pittsburgh in the second half and it looked great. And they did that a couple of games early in the season. I would say, even if you go to the second possession, the second series against the Rams, it was quicker passing. Um, and then it just goes away. So I, I don't understand. Um, I, I'm not as worried about them going to the run game, though. I don't know if, Evan, you, you've got a point of view. Carolina Carolina's ranked as one of the worst DVOA run defenses in history. Oh, yeah, they're terrible. But they're also a terrible – the only thing they're good at it, right, is rushing the passer. Yeah, I, I'm a little worried that they're going to overcompensate to the bad pass protection into the Minnesota game plan. I don't think, Jeff, your your concerns are completely unfounded, though, because we we exited the Rams game, and I and this comment sort of flew under the radar. But Pete Carroll, one of his oh, initial, I heard it. I know you're yeah, talking. That's Pete what... Carroll said something like, "I really wish we had run the ball more," and that's not a great takeaway coming out of the Rams game. So you know, it's and possible. I saw Nate Carroll today with a comment saying, we're not a passing team. 
What's this from? I saw people were talking to Josh Gordon and there were some Nate Carroll quotes. And one of them was asking why Josh Gordon isn't doing more. And his quote was, we're not a passing team. We like to run the ball. Oh, God. That's pretty that hard. makes me want to blow my brains out. Wow. That is. I'm okay, pretty sure I saw that. I might be going crazy, but I'm like 99% sure I saw that. I'm going to have to hear that for myself and in context <laughs> before I go to. Yeah, I saw it on Twitter on that one. So I don't know. Like, I agree with you, though, Evan. I think we need to see Russell take a step forward. There's no doubt about it. And and I think, um, you know, heading into this game, look, if, if you can see the if you can see the receiving crew start to come back together, um, if you can see I don't care if they run the ball and they're effective doing it, um, but I, I just think they also need to, to have Russell be effective as well. I think I want to see minimum of 30 points this week against the Panthers. Like anything less than that will be disappointing. I'm sorry. I have to go right back to this. We're, and I quote, we're not a passing team. We're mostly a run team. We're probably top five in the league in terms of running the ball. Not true. Having six receivers that we all see as viable starters on our team makes it a challenge. Yeah, that was the quote. Are, this, are the Seahawks a top five running unit in the NFL? Does he mean like they run the ball more than anyone else? Or does he mean productive? Uh, I mean, I think he's obviously thinking volume, but I think just that statement in it, in it of itself is insane because obviously volume stats are. Oh, I saw that. And I was, that jumped up in my brain. This was Joe so, Fan who tweeted that. The Seahawks are the fifth ranked rushing team in the NFL, according to DVOA. Okay. So that's higher than I thought, actually. Okay. That's really, that's, that's fair. And they were, they were third as recently as a week or two ago. So. Where are they in? I'm curious to know where Pro Football Focus has them. They're number one in pass in DVOA, and they're number five in rush. So, uh, anyway, I mean, look, I think when it when it comes down to it, guys, uh, <laughs> we've got a team that that has beaten maybe the be- the team that I think is the best team in football, which is the 49ers. I think they're better than the Ravens. Even though they lost to the Ravens, I would take the 49ers in a, in a neutral field that was not a downpour like it was in Baltimore. Um, but the Seahawks went in there and beat them, and I think they could have beat them by a lot. It's kind of uh, weird that the two best teams have Sherman and Earl. <laughs> That's fucking weird. Yeah, no, it's true. I'm conflicted on that one. Um. <laughs> there's a question here about from Owen about whether Julio Jones will play against the Niners. Um, thanks for the donation, Owen. I uh, don't know. I thought what I heard is, so I know Calvin Ridley's out for the year. So um, Atlanta is passing better, um, but it's going to be asking a lot for Atlanta to be competitive in that game, um, especially in terms of defending the 49ers as opposed to the 49ers defending them. So, uh, all right. Um any other items we have not covered that we should cover, fellas, before we start wrapping up? Um, the Panthers almost decided to bench Kyle Allen, didn't they? And then they decided to stay with him last second heading into this game. The only reason I bring that up is because I saw Adam Schefter tweet it, but I just thought yeah, that was he, interesting. Yeah, he has been – I mean, they've been turning the ball over like crazy. I think they're 30th in the NFL or something like that in giveaways. And the Seahawks are like third in the NFL in takeaways. So 
I mean, that's, there's a lot of reasons to hope that, that the Seahawks will get a lot of turnovers and then they've got a really bad defense. Um, that is terrible at defending the run and also not great at defending the pass. So um, I would really like as a minor goal, can we break Russell Wilson's five game streak of throwing interceptions. Yeah. I liked it a lot more when he had one pick. Didn't that interception where it was like a hail Mary at the end. I don't, this was it, it towards the end of the game. Yeah. Yeah. That one, that one kind of hurt me on like a moral level. Did, it, did that hurt you guys? I will tell you the thing that hurt me the most in that game was not losing. It was watching Bobby Wagner try to defend Tyler Higby. Oh, he was that, so that was a jump the shark moment for uh, my Gen Xers and, and older where, uh, man, Bobby couldn't keep up with Tyler Higby. And Bobby did not have a good game last week. He, that was one of his worst games um, are we are we ready to start talking about bobby wagner not being a great linebacker in the nfl yet or are we saving that conversation for a time when we're all a little more rational i'm plenty rational about it that he has not we've been talking about it all year he has not been bobby wagner this year i think that's very safe to say and i think there's probably some various reasons for that that aren't just about age or um know declining physical capabilities they've been playing different defenses that ask different things of that position and i don't know that he's excelled in those changes but that the reason that bummed me out so much is because it did look like physically i mean this is a guy that used to chase down receivers 50 yards downfield and i'm still holding out hope that during the off season he like redoubles efforts and maybe comes back like recaptures some of what he might have lost but it might be gone it might be i mean that, that's a reality that i think we've, we've got to acknowledge and not to be too uh you know I, I have to represent nathan here but you know this is part of why he and i were pounding the table for for trading him you know two years ago um you know when he was had a lot of value and before you gave him this large contract so uh and somebody tweeted at me the, literally the night after the game, somebody tweeted me and was like, Hey, Bobby hasn't played this well, that well this year. What are the Seahawks going to do? Are they going to extend him following the season? And I was like, buddy, <laughs> I have some bad news for you. <laughs> um, <laughs> who wants to tell him? <laughs> oh man. He makes $18 million. Yeah. That hurts. But- Bobby had a really poor first half last game. They were like attacking his spot in the field and he got a little better in the second half. He did tighten that up a little bit, but he's just, it's so, it's so strange because he was so good last year. He was probably like the best linebacker, maybe one of the best defensive players of the entire league last year. And so I, he's just not making impact plays. And it's weird. I looked at this today. Bobby's leading the NFL in tackles, which shows how stupid mm-hmm. that stat is. Yeah, well, I mean, I th- there's two parts of his play here. It's it's the it's the run stoppage, which he has actually been excellent at. Still, uh, Pro Football Focus grades him as the second best run stopping linebacker in the NFL. I think that matches the eye test. The issue we're seeing with Bobby is coverage and tackling, which could be schematic issues. 
but unfortunately so weird. I, we need we should get him on the show figure out what's going on there have an intervention I don't, I don't let him think defend himself to come on the show and talk about whether he's uh, still a good player <laughs> i know but like the other day i'm like should they have given that money to earl i'm having no no i know no works dude they should I'm so glad they didn't give the money to Earl. Earl has not been good this year. Like, like that was the right decision. They could have made additional right decisions. It was a right decision to trade Frank Clark. It was the right, like they did some things in the right way. And I understand, like, I, I love Bobby Wagner as the player and as the person. He's a really good guy. Like, he, there's so much to like about him. I'm so happy he's a Seahawk. From a just ruthless if you're really doing roster management and, and cap management, I think they made a mistake there. Like, I, I think that they, I, I hope that, I hope it turns out well. Um, I hope that, you know, he, he shows out the next few years, but as of right now, it looks like it is not as bad as paying Jared Goff and Todd Gurley. Um, what the Rams are stuck with paying those guys, but it's, it's not good. It's, it, there's, there's, I mean, I'd rather that money be going to Jaron Reed, for example. Yeah. Fair. Well, that game sucked completely, and we've talked about that. Can we just do one second? How awesome is Quandre Diggs? Mm. You like, could argue that was John Schneider's best move of the offseason and the season. I think it's. Really I think you can argue it was the best move in the whole entire NFL this season. Given where, I don't know. considering where the, the compensation, free, I think the Emmanuel where the free Sanders safety trade for the 49ers is pretty damn good. What? I think the Emmanuel Sanders trade for the 49ers is really good. Yeah, what was the compensation round? for? I think it, I want to say it's either fifth or seventh round pick. Uh, that, I, that's fair. That's up there. But if you take away Quandre Diggs, that means you either have who? Tedrick Thompson or Delano Hill playing free safety? Completely changes the year. Completely changes yeah. the and they, season. And not only that, you get him for two more years, having shed it like $4 million or something. Like, It kind of makes me wonder how Marquise Blair is going to – you know, fight for a starting spot, but Bradley McDougal could actually be a player that is not a Seahawk for very long. Yeah, I would. I, I'd assume McDougal's gonna exit stage right next year. Which is, which is kind of sudden though, because even last year he had a really good year. Yeah, and I think he's been fine, um, especially once Diggs came in the lineup. But I think. I think with the offseason, I think Blair and Diggs, that's a safety tandem you could play with for a number of years. Diggs is still in his, you know, early, he's mid 20s. Uh, I think people don't realize that because he kind of looks older too, but he's, I think, 26. So you've got four. He is actually, so he's actually a little bit older. He's 28 years old. Yeah, he is. Yeah. He's got zero guarantees next year. He's in the last year of his deal. Oh, Are you talking Diggs or Google's in the oh, last he's 26 year years old, dude? Quandre Diggs? Yeah. What the heck? Over the cap has his age wrong, man. That's weird. Quandre You're right. Diggs. That's weird. Okay. Yeah, he's 26 years old. He just seems like a very likable player, also. There's something, I don't know. Do you guys follow him on Twitter? There's something like unique about him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think. Uh... I got nothing but good things to say about Quandre Diggs. I've never seen ex-teammates get so excited about a player every time he makes a play. That's true. That has been really fun to watch. I have never seen anything close to that. Like, Darius Slay goes absolutely nuts. 
who, by the way, can come to Seattle. The invite is open if he wants to. Well, and you know, that is worth a second on like how many of the Seahawks, the players that have come to the Seahawks this year have just glowed about playing in Seattle. Like you heard it from Clowney. You heard it from Diggs. You've heard it from Josh Gordon, like player after player. And that you have to imagine they are telling everybody they know about what it's like to play in Seattle. And guess who's got a bunch of cap room next year? Like, It'll be interesting. I'm not a huge fan of building through free agency, but um, it'll be interesting to see if, if, you know, where the Seahawks decide to spend their money. And um, as of right now, like, I don't know, like, for example, I don't know what Ziggy on says, like the prognosis is for his shoulder, if this is going to be another chronic thing, but if he's going to be some super cheap guy, cause no one wants him. Cause he didn't produce that much this year. I'm not against giving that guy like 8 million bucks. Like, I don't know that I'd give him more than that, but. Um, I'd give him $8, not 8 million. Wait, That's a lot. Are you, are you, did you, did you just suggest an $8 million contract for Ansa for next year? Yeah. That's a lot of money for like not doing shit. I mean, I think- if it's incentive laden, sure. Where it's like per sack or. Or pressures, sure. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't think you even need to do that. But, but, uh, I don't know. I think finding pass rush for this team is going to cost money, and I don't think you're going to be able to get a bunch of twenty million dollar pass rushers. And then if Clowney is a guy that you got, if he's going to have this hernia surgery, there's no guarantee he comes back to be the player he was. So I get, I start getting really uncomfortable um, paying him twenty two, twenty three million bucks or whatever he's going to want. Um, I, I like it better when they bargain hunt on the, on the, on the pass rush front and find guys that maybe can, can overachieve. Um, but anyway, we're rambling at this point. I will just say another guy that we didn't talk about that also did not, uh, did not pop was uh, Rasheem Green. Like he's been playing well. I was hoping that, you know, with Ansa out that he was going to show off a lot more. We didn't get a lot from him in this game. Really? Because I thought he flashed, but I want to check to see if Pro Football Focus backs that up. Does anybody know his pressures from last game? Anybody see that? Uh, I don't. I don't. Okay, you're right. He did have a really bad game. My God. Yeah. I don't think One of his worst good. games of the season, actually. <laughs> yeah. I thought... Yeah, I mentioned Diggs before. I thought Josh Gordon's comments were pretty cool today. I don't know if you guys saw those. Yeah. What did he say? He said, I'd love to live in a place like this. I think I'm fortunate in general to have landed in a place like this with a coach like this. It's a real close, tight-knit, energetic group. And this is where I want to be. I Seattle is amazing. Well, I think just thinking about his story and his journey and his background, I think Seattle is probably one of the more welcoming and supportive organizations he probably could have joined from a culture perspective, at least. So I think that's where Pete Carroll's sort of value as a culture builder comes right in, you know, accepting those types of players. So I think he, I think he's 100% correct. You know, it's like still one of the least told stories, not just for the Seahawks, but for the NFL in general is Shaquem Griffin. Like he came into a lot of fanfare and it was like a little bit of like, you know, 
almost like a gimmicky, you know, right? Like everyone's just trying to make it a feel good story. And knowing the guy, like he doesn't want that. He wants to actually be a legitimate NFL player that's treated like any other NFL player. But the fact of the matter is you've got a guy with one hand who is turning into a pretty good pass rusher and no one freaking talks about it. Like that's crazy. And not only does he have one hand, but he's like 230 pounds and he's looking effective at defensive end. I mean, he only got nine snaps in the last game, but in his five pass rushes, he got two pressures. He got a hit in a hurry. And one of them was what forced the, the pick six to digs. Like, this is a guy that that I feel like the NFL is almost stupid. The Seahawks definitely are for not making a big deal out of this. Like, it's a great freaking story. Um, I think they need to play him more. I don't know if they can. Like, he's 230 pounds. You put him in the game in any other situation than an obvious passing down, they're going to run right at him. Yeah, but Brand Jackson's playing 39 snaps or something. Just give him five of those. Six. I hear you, man. I, I'm not even opposed. I, I actually I I mean look at what look at what Griffin did in the Eagles game. He caused that fumble on a running play. He is yeah. like he is a playmaker. He was in college. Like he just finds the ball. He doesn't always make the headiest, smartest play, and sometimes he's out of position. But you just let him like set him loose and let him run after the, the ball. The guy makes plays. So I agree with you. I'd like to see him out there more. Uh, you know, point being, even with the role that they've given him so far, he's he's showing some value. So I, I definitely would like to see more of that. All right, guys, let's wrap there. Uh, good as always to catch up. Um, thanks for everybody that's tuned in. If you haven't already, um, absolutely go and check out uh, the merchandise um, on uh, – I'll, I'll retweet – I'll retweet the link. I'll find it real quick and retweet the link for the merch. Um, I'm doing that right now. I'm going to even put it in the chat pond for people that wanted to go right to it. Um, <clears throat> awesome. Great stuff. Great for the holidays. Not too late for stocking stuffers uh, or any other holidays that you celebrate. And uh, or join us over at patreon.com slash Great to have more folks on board there. So Take care, everybody. Have a wonderful, wonderful rest of the week. We will uh, catch you all 10 a.m. Uh, Sunday morning, and uh, we'll have a post-game show after that. So until then, go Hawks.